0: god Mm. Mm. this is really bad see this is what i do when i have jello
1: i like (laughs) what do you do i inhale it oh yeah (laughs) it's like almost gone well i can i can smell and taste the whiskey Mm -hmm. now it's really good Mm. i like whiskey (laughs) jello that may be like a gross southern thing like Mm. like the cola red wine that we've
0: had uh-huh. still just like burping <laughs> that, that up
1: <laughs> that was so disgusting i like i like how we gave it a shot though we're like hmm, this cheap. is interesting it was like on the scale of one to ten we rated a hmm meh <laughs> And then afterwards, we are like, oh, my God, that was fucking awful. I think we're trying to be not judgy in our early days. I, th- I really do think so, It's like so somebody too. out there likes this, so we have to be nice. <laughs> hmm.
0: Shit. I eat way faster than I No, you are good. done. It is gone. Oh,
1: like- my God. <laughs> oh, mm. So how much? how much whiskey is in this? Um...
0: A half cup of the the entire pan has a half cup of whiskey in it.
1: Okay. And this is like half of the pan here? Like the... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the,
0: the, the two of our glasses probably or <laughs> I don't even know that they're half of it. They may mm. be half of it. Mm-hmm. The two glasses. Okay. So that's not too bad, right? No. Are we... Are we? Is this the show? Mm-hmm. Oh, hi Patrice.
1: <laughs> hi Merlin.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> let's explain. <laughs> our dearest Courtney is out This week traveling and and having a blast and we miss her. And uh, so I am doing a food related story this week because Thanksgiving. And I guess it'll be Thanksgiving week maybe when you get this. So that'll be Mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made a Thanksgiving cocktail that's unusual (laughs) because you eat it with a spoon. Mm -hmm. It is supposed to be bourbon. But I had whiskey, so it's whiskey, cranberry juice, Mm. raspberry jello, and Mm. uh, it's got... And I guess that's it. It's actually cranberry cheese, whiskey, and raspberry jello. And then you let it set and then you cut it into cubes and put it in a martini glass. And it's garnished with things, but there's yeah. not much point in there being garnished. Mine is empty. Mm. This
1: is. Mine's on. I'm, I'm like shoveling it in. I just. It I tastes can't like Thanksgiving, stop. though. It does. And it's got like my, my chest a little warm. Like I'm Good. feeling kind of warm and kind
0: I might be. I don't know how drunk I can get on this, but. I've never done jello shots. I may have. I have a vague memory of one of my husband's roommates before we were married having a bowl full of Jello shots, and each one had a Barbie leg in it.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: I don't know. There's something about Barbie body parts and Jello shots. That's all. That mm. might be why it's so vague, though. Mm. Mm. Yeah, when you look up Jello cocktails. It really is all Jello shots, mm-hmm. but this proves that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Mm-hmm. You just can't really slurp drink it this way. Mm-mm. It's it, kind it of pretty. A,
1: yeah, it'd be a nice like after dinner dessert. Mm-hmm. Kind of like dessert cocktail.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. I mm-hmm. remember that for Thanksgiving with my just parents. Don't
1: give it to the kids. Kids be like Jello. You're like, oh my gosh! No. All I did for the last twenty
0: four hours was say, "This is not your Jello.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is not
0: your Jello." <laughs> So, Mm -hmm. do we have any business? We just... uh... Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So, we just unwrapped... Oh, my God. A lovely gift from our dear friend, Steve, up in New York. Long story. That's probably just long. I'm not going to say long story (laughs) short. My husband does uh, CD covers for musicians, and... They usually will send them a photo if they want, like, you know, different photos or whatever. And they're like, you know, work with this photo to create this design. And it's like, cool. So Steve had sent a photo of this doll. And my husband showed it to me. He's like, look at these dolls that Steve's wife makes. And I'm like, that is amazing because of, like, all the colors and textures and he was telling me how she makes them it's like her and another artist makes these dolls and i was like i want one <laughs> and specifically i want the one that's on the album cover and so i was like find out how much they are and so he contacted steve and steve uh told him and i was like oh yeah definitely like deal like let's let's go ahead and make that thing happen and so all of a sudden chad says you're gonna get a package i'm like what and it was donated by Steve. Uh, we love Aww. you, Steve. Thank you so much. He supports us He's been supporting the show since, you know, we started and uh, we unwrapped it tonight and she is beautiful. She is very pretty. She is very pretty. And more to the point, she creeps the hell out of yes. Marleya. Yes, yes, She is a bit yes. creepy, which is why I love her so much. I, um, I
0: respect her deeply. <laughs>
1: you're like may i touch you
0: (laughs) i feel like you have to ask she is she is very cool yes just an awesome very neat design yes i'm glad she's sitting on courtney's chair she
1: is she is our co um kind of our guest co Mm -hmm. right now guest for the show but she can't have any jello she cannot have it she's she's not old enough no all right
0: but she's lovely, thank you. Yes,
1: thank you so much, Steve, and I will put the name of the artist and how if you want your own custom-made doll, how you can get it. Yay. Yay! And they're very affordable. Yay!
0: I don't have anything else, I don't think. No. You don't? No. No.
1: No. Oh, no. oh yep, I did. Yep. So I wanted to give two shout-outs. Shout-out to Emma, who sent an email that I'm going to forward to you and Courtney, but Emma, she emailed us about the zombie episode that we did, mm-hmm. and she said that actually she she was library science major, and she had to do a presentation because she's like, when you're a librarian, you have to be ready for, like all the things like anybody asks you a question you have to like know this so she did her presentation on the best way to survive a zombie apocalypse (laughs) like it's a full-on like grad level presentation and stuff (laughs) and based on her research she says that eden utah is the best place to survive and the presentation she sent me the powerpoint presentation and she gives the roadmaps of like oh my different God. routes That's to get amazing. there, how long it takes you. She's like, you know, she gives a list of everything that you'll need. And it's really well thought out stuff, like stuff I didn't see in the list that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely amazing. It's very thorough. Um, I'm going to see if I can get permission to put it up because it's it's really great. So thank you so much, Emma, for sending that to us. Oh, that's cool. And then, uh, oh, and then we had a comment on the website from Annie and she said, I just saw this episode. It's referring to, I forget what number it is, but the one With the uh, Battlefield Witch Up in Kentucky, Mm. I think And she said, I just saw this episode Thanks for mentioning Leah Smock As the badass that she was And she runs a blog Called weirdmeadcounty.com And she says If we ever want any other stories To let her know So check out that website Thanks y'all for contacting us We love it We love hearing from y'all And talking to y'all And we're very approachable So (laughs) okay maybe not approachable we're very emailable yes we are very we're very emailable. don't call us <laughs> don't approach us at all <laughs> no i'm teasing no, we're we're we are, we are yes actually you're approachable you are too <laughs> I am less approachable because I have resting witch face. Oh, see, I think I do, too. I don't. No, you don't. Oh, look how sweet I am. You are. You are sweet. (laughs) So, approach Marlea. Stay the fuck away from me. (laughs) I'm teasing. (laughs) But if you email us, uh, if we don't reply immediately, it's simply because we don't see it yet. But every time we see it, we always reply. Right. Let's do it. Let's do it. You go first today. I go first today. (laughs)
0: Woohoo um so like i said it's thanksgiving maybe by the time you get this that's it honest probably my favorite holiday it might be my favorite holiday i think it might beat out halloween maybe a little i'm not really? sure yeah I thanksgiving know this about you thanksgiving makes me happy because there's no stress of gift giving and it's there's gift it's giving it's and halloween about no <laughs> i mean you have to give people candy and stuff that's hard shut up <laughs> don't be judging my holiday choices <laughs> i'm mean,
1: so judging you so hard why
0: is that hard i love it because thanksgiving is just about like <laughs> it's just about Sweat sanctioned pants. gluttony really. <laughs> S- sweatpants booze and eatings <laughs> because my my Thanksgiving, and we've talked about this before my thanksgiving really does revolve around booze so um that's really pretty cool but i just always have fun i mean it's good. It's if you a got chill good, for me. If
1: you got good family and, and all things are cool, then yes, I could totally say that.
0: All things are cool. Yes. But um, yeah, I just, I never feel like that much is expected of me at Thanksgiving. That's, that's amazing.
1: Like the rest of us are like sweating and dying and cursing Thanksgiving. Because you have to host stuff. Yeah. 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 I don't host. And stuff. all the stuff. Well, if you don't host, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So a lot of us are stuck having to. Be the tradition. Oh no, that is sad. Now I feel bad. No, no, but that's fine. You just go sit on your couch and eat. You got some special
0: bitterness in you about this today. I feel triggered. I can tell. You just eat your cranberry whiskey jello. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you She's... a story.
1: <laughs> In other words, Mariah is telling me to shut the fuck up and let her stop.
0: <laughs> I'm a vegetarian and I like Thanksgiving. It's just, you know, wrong, really. I also just scarfed an entire martini glass of jello. I'm like the worst vegetarian you've ever met, except for the chicken nugget ones. I've met those before. You ever met chicken nugget vegetarians? Jellos? What no? No, jello, no. Vegetarians. Chicken nugget vegetarians. Oh, Have you ever met them before? No. They'll make exceptions for chicken nuggets. I was like, Oh wow. Oh, how hmm. does that work? It doesn't. I didn't think so. <laughs> it doesn't work. But I'm just saying, yeah, I like... just ate jello, so So I guess I'm not gonna you know. I was like, I just was happy memories of Thanksgiving and like families and card tables and folding chairs and and I feel like at Thanksgiving, this is where I was coming from. Most families have at least one dish at Thanksgiving that they just like can't do without. Like they will, if Courtney was here, she would say that she has to make her dressing because it, it's like a two-day process. Oh, the yeah. one that she does. Yeah, it's
1: like you cook the turkey, and then you get all the things from the turkey so that you can make all the other stuff mm-hmm. on the second day. And you gotta let it sit. It's a week-long process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It is. But um, so I guess for
0: a long time, for lots of fans in like the Midwest and the South, Jello salad was one of those things that you had to have on the Thanksgiving table. And Patrice is laughing. Why are you laughing?
1: I'm laughing because of the uh, chicken nugget jello. <laughs> chicken nugget jello.
0: <laughs> well, there were some weird flavors back when, but chicken nuggets wasn't one. Yeah,
1: thank God.
0: Yeah, there's like, I was trying to think. My my Aunt Becky used to make a strawberry pretzel salad that was jello. Have you ever had anything like that? Those. Mm. It's like a crust of pretzels that are like crushed in butter. Mm. And then there's like Cool Whip and strawberry jello on top. And so it's like... you Kind of. That kind of rings... Like, I think I've been to a church potluck and that's set out somewhere. Yeah. I don't... I'm not crazy about that one, but it was... It, like, showed up at every family thing. And there's, like, Jell-O poke cakes. I met that one at a church basement. Like, Mm. I met Jell-O poke cake there. My grandma, who passed away recently, she was, like, an everyday Jell-O person. (laughs) So... that's interesting you couldn't sit down to her table without her bringing out like a little green square tupperware dish of jello wow of whatever i mean it just it always had to be there there was always jello very distinctive tradition Mm -hmm. but um yeah and my dad used to make this one that was uh i found out while i was looking this up it's called a sunset salad it's orange jello with pineapple Mm. shaved carrots and pecans or walnuts inside
1: that's kind of familiar
0: but most often i think like when people think of like holiday jello salads it's the fluff stuff it's like the cool whip mixed with jello mixed with marshmallows mixed with fruit salad patrice is like that's disgusting yes but yes but so i would just had this on my brain i you made some random comment the other day about me talking about crazy gross jello salads oh yeah
1: I remember there was a period of time where you got like a book and you were sending me pictures oh my god I was obsessed of, and I can't find the book of all the like <clears throat> like there would be chicken nugget like yeah, if they had real. chicken nuggets in the 50s there'd be chicken nugget jello yes in this book it was disgusting it was disgusting
0: and so I started thinking about that again because we talked about it when I did the tomato episode because there was a tomato aspic that had the the you know it was gel with tomato flavoring mm-hmm. put inside it so I was, like, I was like i'm gonna talk about jello because it's thanksgiving and i can talk about food do it so um jello has an interesting history i feel like this is the beginning of like a fifth grade book report <laughs> jello has an. <laughs> the word jello is defined by webster's um <clears throat> So there's an article on Serious Eats, and it's called "A Social History of Jello Salad: The Rise and Fall of an American Icon" by mm-hmm. Sarah Gray. There was another, um, there was an episode of the Gastropod podcast that I pulled from to uh, quite a bit, along with some other resources, and that was called "Watch It Wiggle: The Jello Story." Um, but so gelatin has been around for like like since the 1600s. It's been around forever. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. But it used to be really really hard to do. So mm, it, because it's really, really gross too, well, it's but... it is really gross. It's yeah. collagen, Mine. and I remember I remember thinking that this was a, a rumor. This whole Jello is made oh, of horse's, horses' bones, hooves, or Horse, something. Now the horses' hooves is not true because okay. horses' hooves are made of keratin. Okay. but it's made of the ground up bones of livestock. And I was like, I thought that it was a rumor, and it's, every time I've looked it up, it's kept on being true. It's like no matter how many times I want it to be false, they it's have not just yet still proven still it be false.
1: One day we will prove <laughs> one
0: day this rumor false. <laughs> but uh, so because it's it is actually made of collagen. So collagen is a protein that holds. Um, like that holds us like meat bag pieces together, you know what I mean? Like all of our like connecting tissues and shit. That's all collagen. So, um, so yes. Happy
1: Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Eat your horse
0: bones. But um, so gastropod went into this like detailed description of what it was like to make gelatin in the eighteen hundreds, which was when it was like super popular for the mm-hmm. first time around. And it said you basically you go to the market, you buy a bunch of calves' feet. At which you then have to like super, super scrub (laughs) because calves seven, all kinds of shit. And then you cover them with water in a pot, boil them until the meat falls off, which is like usually hours, several hours. And then you cool this, whatever you've made, and you run it through a sieve to get all the meat bits out and let it set for 24 hours. And when it sets, you get this sort of jelly that comes out. And it's like, and I keep on thinking, like, when you make pot roast and you mm-hmm. don't, like, drain all the gravy off or whatever and you put it in the fridge, there's that gel. That's the, that's collagen. I think it's the same idea. So you put, um, you scrape the fat off the top of this gel that you get. And then you mix it with beaten egg white and eggshells. And then you boil that and then you pour it through a flannel bag that was called a jelly bag. And what comes out or what what sets from that is clear jelly. You add flavor and then you have to refrigerate it to set it up. And in the 1800s, nobody had refrigeration. Like when this was the process to do this by. That's why it was so hard to do. You couldn't refrigerate it. And so they would put it in like an ice house with ice that was like imported
1: from other right. places, usually. Unless she lived like in Canada or yes. something. Yes.
0: So the whole process took days and a lot of like labor. Mm-hmm. So only rich people could afford jello. Like it was gelatin, Makes sense. was yeah, it was you had to have slaves or enslaved people or servants or enslaved people. And you had to have the money to keep ice houses or, you know, and fill them with ice or be close to a community ice house. So if you're posh, you want like a jelly dish on the table at your gala or whatever right. it is that you're going to have. Um, and they would create these like really elaborate centerpieces out of them because they were a status symbol. Right. And they would have flowers in them and they would be like little kaleidoscopes and, you know, they, they wanted everybody to look at them. So um, like as time went on a little, well, actually, no, still in the 1800s, you could, they would be in New York, high society balls and things like that. Southern plantations would have them. Thomas Jefferson's estate, Monticello served wine jelly to guests at, at parties and dinners.
1: Shooters. I know. I was like, thanks Thomas
0: Jefferson. You're the first jello shots. But, um, so in 1897, there was a couple named Pearl and May wait. They were in New York and they bought the pattern patent patent for powdered gelatin And it had been created by, like, an inventor of the American-made steam engine or something in 1845. So... The weights, they owned a company already that made cough syrup and laxatives. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, horse bone jelly is just the next step. <laughs> I think. And the reason they did it is because they knew how to make flavored syrups really well because they had to make people want to take, take cough syrup. Right. And so, um, gelatin also tastes lame. And so, they experimented adding the flavored syrups that they had already developed. And they ended up with like four or five flavors of jello, I think four flavors of jello. And they, they named it that. And then they turned around and they sold the whole caboodle to a food company, Gen- Genes- Genese- Gen- Geneseo Food Company, in like 1899. And they hired a marketing director who just was a genius. It was like, it's like akin to the Coca-Cola marketing, like, behemoth. Right. Um, So <clears throat> they started selling, you know, ads with children talking about how much they loved it, which is like, it was 88% sugar. Right. I and mean, of, course, of course, children, children loved, loved it. it right. Um, but there were these ads with like perfectly coiffed housewives in these beautifully ironed dresses and, you know, and flats standing in their kitchens calling it America's favorite dessert. And Norman Rockwell did a lot of their initial ads or some of their initial ads. So I mean, it became really popular just based on the advertising alone but then people tried it and they kids especially they really did like it mm-hmm. um but jello's marketing director started printing recipe books telling people how to prepare it in all these different ways they handed out free jello molds to immigrants arriving at ellis island
1: oh wow no shit i wonder what those would like i know it's like Borders. um okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> here's a shoe
0: but we're very wiggly here <laughs> um but the timing was what really did it for jello because when this company bought the product and was trying to advertise it and market it industrialization was just booming going crazy in america there's a growing middle class women are getting all of these like efficiency items like irons and you know gas stoves and home phones right and hand cranked washing machines which (laughs) is like all women fucking did
1: back in that day is wash clothes yes
0: and so i mean it's like these are these advances in technology that are like making the home efficient and Jello is efficient because it's taking this massive process that created this beautiful, elaborate thing and turning it into something that so, this housewife can accomplish. All you know, right, she powder and water. Yes, you're done. Um, so, and they they really they really marketed the femininity of jello it was like the dainty dessert for the new women so um there was a food historian named laura shapiro and she did a study called perfection salad which is a salad recipe a jello salad recipe but she said that um the one of the reasons that they liked it so much was because she called it quote a salad at last in control of itself oh <laughs> because God. it had borders and it wasn't messy. It had corners. <laughs> it had corners. <laughs> and so it was like, and it was congealed salad didn't like cover up your whole plate and have to have all these dressings and messy stuff like right. uncontrollable it, it, food. It didn't touch the lettuce. I know. It just ate the lettuce. It just ate the lettuce. But and, and it was oddly back when i guess people could describe something as congealed and still expect other people to want to eat it but um it was also like that time and you know the kind of uh what was it a uh, future world or whatever Epcot had uh, land of tomorrow and all right. that kind of stuff that was later, but that kind of fascination with futurism and space right. stuff. And that was all there And the wiggly chemistry of Jell-O actually made it fit that niche too. Oh yeah. And so Jell-O you know, on the moon. It was, I know it was like hitting on all these different, on all these different points. So um, popularity soars. And then it, it generally kind of follows waves of American history. You can see like, different things changing based on jello and jello marketing, which is crazy, but there are multiple articles dedicated to this. So there was like a slump in World War One because of rationing. But this is where like, as so often, we recognize that you can't talk about things like this on natural on, on like national experience terms. Um, or even just the Southern experience, because you always have to have caveats, right? Like, right. there's so much difference across the country that, like, m- national marketing numbers don't always tell the whole story, right? So, right. because Appalachia and rural poverty, and there was this, um, there was an article in Southern Foodways called Electric Jello" by Laura Smith, and, like we're at that part of the story where we're in the 1930s and we're talking about how jello is transitioning to like a new sort of marketing perception but in many places especially in rural appalachia it isn't until the 30s that women even start using jello at all so it's been around for 30 years nationally but it it there are rural poor places in the south where it just hasn't taken off and so this author is kind of looking into um, oral histories trying to figure out why it Becomes a blockbuster thing like thirty years later, right? From every place else, and um, she comes across power lines because there are huge swaths, particularly she was studying Kentucky and like specifically that didn't have electric power until after nineteen thirty-five because Roosevelt created the Rural Electrification Administration, oh,
1: wow. and that was
0: part of a New Deal policy to spread electricity and telephone services across rural areas. <clears throat> So when in nineteen thirty five when that was put in place, only three percent of Kentucky's farms had electricity. And like three percent that's so small. So she looked through all these oral history interviews and found that most of the people that talked about it and didn't even get power until the fifties.
1: Oh yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I don't think my I don't know if my well, I know that my granddad like they had outhouses. They didn't mm. have like indoor plumbing. Plumbing yeah. kind of thing. You know, and that was like in the thirties stuff 40s.
0: yeah so it's like it's kind of a different story and without yeah. power there's no refrigeration and without refrigeration there's no jello so All right um they you know they would can vegetables and ferment sauerkraut and smoke meat and they would like right. smoke apples and keep milk and things in in caves and spring houses
1: but right. they didn't root have sellers.
0: root cellars exactly mm-hmm. like big jars of vegetables in brine and you would like move there was one story of a girl who would like move the rock off the pot get sent get sent to pick up like pickled beans and have to move a rock off a Pot in a cave and reach her hands into freezing cold brine and pull out a handful of pickled beans and how much she hated it because she was always afraid the snakes were gonna get her (laughs) when she went into the cave. Well, yeah. But you know, when when this is the stuff that you're you know, this is what your life looks like. Mm -hmm. You don't even have electricity, like the same social mores that are driving these changes in marketing for like cello touch you. They're not even that's not what they're worried about. You know? So it's up until like around this time when refrigeration kind of hits these poor areas in the south it's not an apples to apples comparison you know it's not it's not necessarily happening all over the south this way right but in the 30s um when people are starting to get power it's like it's right in the middle of the depression you know that's why the new deal was here right right um <clears throat> and Jello kind of shifts its marketing angle as um this is a way to save and stretch food. And this is something that does resonate a lot with uh, more Southern audiences. Um, depression is about making everything go as far as you can, you know, these rural areas. And um, Jello is actually a preservative, which I didn't ever really realize. But, um, you know, I, when I thought about it, I, I remembered my grandma in New York canned venison cubes in gelatin. And it never really... I always thought it was weird but it I is... never really connected it to jello.
1: I've never even heard of that.
0: But it is it was a gel that she canned those in and so I was like well that's interesting. So if you it, you can keep meat fresh in a can if it's kept from air in gelatin instead of in brine or in something like that. Huh. Um so jello jello actual jello it does the same thing. So there would be women who would like throw entire salads leftovers from their fridge into lemon jello, whatever was left over, green beans, cabbage, all that kind of stuff and just it would be a different dish. But it would be like green beans and lemon jello. And that would be what you had.
1: Oh, wow. Because
0: the green beans would keep for a week instead of two days. Right. You know, it's not like an interminable. Right. You know, so it's like, not going to keep You're not going to eat it next year. No. Right. But it does help it keep. So gelatin salads have gone from being this very posh thing to something that's kind of affordable and accessible to and something that's... practical. Yes, yeah, extremely practical. And it also, it still plays into this idea that like women housewives you know domestics are like showcasing their their valuable talents in you know the even the shittiest times like i can still make things pretty you know i can still be efficient and feed people even with less money you know right and so um the same idea kind of extends into world war ii as rationing begins but then after the war there's another shift in public perception because now you know a lot of a lot of processed food industries came up in World War II because they were trying to feed the troops. right? And so, you know, like Meals Ready to Eat, that kind of idea, you know, they're trying to get things that'll stay good, have a long shelf life, and that industry didn't want to give that up when the war ended. Right. So they wanted to market it to American audiences, but it also kind of started looking at it, like, as tacky. You know, people were like, oh, you know, you can't really you know, feed your family. You're not spending time on your food. You're just phoning it in kind of thing. And they mm-hmm. kind of went back to that mentality. All right. Um, but according to serious eats, um, excuse me, there was a 1950s study that measured housewives feelings about convenience foods by asking them to compare a wife who brought Nescafe instant coffee and one who brewed Maxwell house. Like, so it's cough. I mean, it's, It's coffee. Right. But they were, like, asking what the perception difference is between people who use these things. And their results were that they rated a woman who resorted to instant products as lazy, disorganized, and a bad wife. You know, that hasn't fucking
1: changed. (laughs) Okay? You know, I mean, it is. Because the whole Walmart pickup thing, when it first hit Jacksonville, if you were, like, on one of the Jacksonville Facebook groups... Um, there was, like, working mothers and people who weren't working mothers, like, praising being able to, like, go in and order your groceries. Oh my god, I know. And then just go pick it up without having to shop for it. Mm-hmm. And then there was like the haters and basically saying the same thing. Well, like how lazy are how you? Lazy that you can't th-
0: walk through the grocery store. Exactly.
1: Yes. There was there was the same thing. So it hasn't changed. With
0: like no respect for other people's situations or time or right. even just the fact that you know we're in a goddamn pandemic and we didn't want to walk into the grocery store. Right. You know? I mean, like. Right. Yes, I okay. know. So that stuff is still. I know. It's still oh going my on. god, it's still all there. Mm-hmm. But. Um, so anyways so jello is in this bind now they're like they they know that people like their product and it they know that it contributes to domestic efficiency and they know that it's cheap and people want it but they they can't look tacky or disorganized by making it because they will quit using the product even though they like all this stuff right you know um so there's this push by jello to make jello salads more complicated again And that's where we get those, like, ridiculous, crazy-ass 1950s, 60s, 70s cookbooks for Jell-O, where they have all kinds of shit in it because they're trying to, like, turn it into something that you can make a showstopper again to show, you know, we're still using your product, but we're showing you how It's
1: groovy. It's groovy. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: So, you know, in 1960s, they released savory jello flavors. There is no chicken nugget flavor. You can put your weed in it. I know, right? (laughs) Keep it good. (laughs) There's celery flavored, mixed vegetable flavored, Italian salad flavored, and seasoned tomato flavored. And my dad is convinced my grandma used a cabbage flavored one, but he, I think it must have been one of those like celery or mixed vegetable Mm -hmm. but there were recipes like olive relish that had olives pickles celery and vinegar in lime jello (laughs) the perfection salad that laura shapiro's book was written about or was titled after it was actually originally a knox brand and i haven't talked about knox gelatin at all but that was jello's main competitor and it's still out there they sell like unflavored gelatin and all that stuff but um that was i mean the perfection salad was basically coleslaw Dumped in lemon jello. I just want to throw it <laughs> there's a ring around the tuna. It's the fish based ones that really do me in, right? It's the t- ring around the tuna was vinegar, onions, cucumbers, celery, olives, and chunks of tuna fish um and a lot of the the recipes that came out then were like other brands trying to like glom onto the jello well, bandwagon I mean, it
1: makes sense because it does keep everything in place it's, I, yeah, it's like I mean, you know one slice full meal I de- it's, it's yeah. the Willy well, I'm sure- of, <laughs> of
0: you know oh my god food. yes it's the gum it's the gum yeah uh I'm sure they use that as part of their marketing stuff too but uh yeah the One that really got me this time was the Hellman's mayonnaise because other like I said, other brands would kind of try and ride the coattails and they would leave out the Jell-O brand name, but they would insert theirs in and they would put it in their ads. So there was an ad for Hellman's um, that had the Aspic Aquarium was the name of this recipe. And you what you do is you prepare a clear gelatin. This one didn't have flavor gelatin in it. But then you flavor it with lemon juice and a touch of sugar. So really, what they're saying is make lemon jello. Right. Um, add a drop of blue vegetable color. I don't know what vegetable color is, but I guess food coloring. Mm-hmm. Pour a thin layer into a loaf pan. Chill. Prop. Okay. Escarole sprigs. Is that that's like a, some sort of like fancy lettuce? I think. Right. Okay. I, don't I don't know. Parsley and scallions around the edge, and you suspend them upside down. And next, you, you cut out fish out of like pimentos or something, and you stick them into one of the layers. And then you continue to make different gelatin layers with vegetable fish. Like you take cucumbers and carrots and you cut them like fish, and then you insert them at different levels. And then you put at the last layer shrimp, shell macaroni, and cauliflower <laughs> And then you, and then after it sets, you unmold it and garnish with ripples of Hellman's real mayonnaise. And I was like, this is the most disgusting thing I have ever heard of in my life. And I kind of want to make it, but oh my God. So that one takes the cake for me. But this was this became like everything had to be like this massive right production. Like, I'm making an aquarium with like shaped fish, and if you want to see some of the like the really just, I mean the hilarious Jello ads and and the recipes. There's a um <laughs> there's a lilix.com has a bunch of galleries and one of the ones that they have is the gallery of regrettable food. And I'll put the link out there. Cause it's, it's amazing. It's got some really funny commentary and stuff too. So in the, it was, it wasn't until like the seventies and eighties that Jell-O becomes like, yeah, nutrition programs come up and they're like hey this is like 90% sugar right so maybe you shouldn't serve it at every meal right and so they kind of start eating real salads again and then they just give this to the children <laughs> because <laughs> this is when like they hire bill cosby and it's j-e-l-l-o and you know right. all that kind of stuff and so that's when you know parfait grab and goes at school and hospital jello cubes and it's what shows up on every single buffet at mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. restaurant pudding pop you know, are good Pudding is totally different than Jell O. I loved Jell O Pudding Pops. Mm-hmm, I too. loved them yeah. because there was this little like ice layer yes. that was on the outside yes. and you could like crack that ice you layer and eat it first. It was the best.
1: Yes. And I hate pudding, but man, I could like take <laughs> care of some. Ice layer cracking pudding Oh pot. my god, I know. So yeah, anyway, so
0: you know, the the thing that showed up at like Thanksgiving's across the country, especially in the Midwest and the South and Utah, for <laughs> which Jell O is the official state food. Oh Jesus. So you can escape from zombies <laughs> while eating all the jello in the world. That's where it, that's where it is. Um, but uh, yeah, usually what you're gonna see is those sweet ones that kind of come out mm-hmm. in like the seventies, eighties, that right. kind of stuff. But anyway, so that's oh, the story of Jello, and in the after so talk, interesting. I have to share briefly how Jello contributed to medical science. What? But um, yeah, that's what I got. Wow, I need more Jello, I need more whiskey.
1: I don't <laughs> yes. think I'm getting enough from this. Yes. All right. Thank <laughs> you. That was so so interesting. I love it. <laughs> we'll I'm, be right I'm back. Grossed out. Too. Oh, I know. Me too. <laughs> right. We'll be back.
0: Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies.
1: See you there. And we are back. Woo! As I promised, we are continuing with my stories of ghosts that kill. Oh my god. Killer Ghost. I'm on pins and needles. I really am. This whole storyline I got from Creepypasta, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Ghost number two. There once was a man, a so called gentleman, who lived just outside of his hometown with his adoring wife. He was a man of considerable wealth who had aged gracefully long into his golden years. Everyone loved this old geezer. He was well-known around the town and recognized as a man among men.
0: Which is a funny term, really, because it's like, does that mean that other men recognize you also have a penis? Yes. I I don't
1: know. (laughs) Are you a man among chickens? (laughs) What what does that even mean? Uh, He would buy from uh, the town's markets, and he did whatever he could to like expand the growth of the town. He poured his money into this town, giving back to the community rather than hoarding his financial success to himself. His wife loved him for that very reason. She had the house and the husband that she had always wanted. All of that seemed to be enough for her. Although unlike her husband, she really never left the house. She was not a woman among women. (laughs) Everyone was fond of the man and his wife And almost just as much loved the house. He had the house that everyone wanted. The man had often held parties and gatherings for the people of the town there. His wife would cook the most amazing meals using the vegetables and foods that he would buy from the town markets. When the guests would come, the man would give tours. And the one room that he loved to show off the most was his portrait room. Here he had collected and framed some of the most amazing paintings that he had bought from local artists. Because of his many gatherings, the man soon became known as the host of the town. He loved that title. He wore this title with pride. Those who asked the man whether it was the massive house or the beautiful wife that made him so happy, he would just reply, Neither. It's just my way. What a dick. Not because I'm white and rich. I'm just right. Giving back to and entertaining his friends made the man and his wife very happy. And eventually the man's wife became secluded. She would stay inside the house alone. And the man would ask why she would never go outside. And she would never really give him a direct answer. He wondered if she was ill, so he called the doctor to look at her. The doctor couldn't find anything wrong. The man knew for sure, though, that something was wrong. His wife had always been just as outgoing as he was, and within the walls of their home especially, but she quickly refused to see or even socialize with anyone anymore, even when they came over to the house. So soon the town started to see less and less of the man, and what they did see, he was not the cheerful old man of men that they had come to know. He was no longer smiling or interacting with the townspeople like he used to. Instead, he stayed inside to keep his wife company. At first, he would come out at least once a day, and soon it became every other day, then once a week, then only a few times a month. Whenever anyone would ask the man what was wrong or where had he been, he would simply say, "Eh, this is just my way. As the time went by, his wife grew more and more introverted, no longer even talking to her husband. He started to become less sad but more angry and angry at his own helplessness, angry at the lack of cooperation with his wife, angry at not being the person that he used to be. She was in pain, but wouldn't say what was wrong. What we got here is a failure to (laughs) communicate. (laughs) He had no idea how to handle the situation. All he wanted was his life back, where everyone was happy and she was the cause of this not happening. He asked why one last time to his wife, who only looked back at him and smiled sweetly. He couldn't take it anymore. His wife hadn't shared anything with him for months. He had become more lonely with her than even by himself. He had wanted to help her, but she wouldn't say what was wrong or tell him what to do. The man snapped, no longer angry at himself, but more so at her. He couldn't control his rage that had built up all this time, so he choked her, and he continued to choke her and shake her with every word he screamed in her face and with what little breath that she had left as he was choking her, her final words, This is your way. Ooh. She died in his hands and by his hands. He buried her in the family cemetery outside the back of the house. That same day, the man picked a single bottle of his favorite wine and went and climbed up into the rafters of his portrait room and he hung himself. The man who was once loved by his friends and family was now nothing more than a decoration for the house that had claimed him. That's a gruesome decoration. It is a gruesome decoration. The man's spirit can still be heard weeping for his dead wife all over what was once his house. Rumor has it that his body still hangs from the ceiling in the portrait room. Those that have found his body would no longer hear the man's crying, though not many have ever returned from the man's house after finding his hanging body. It is said that on the wall in the same room, the words, My Way, have been scratched over and over on the walls deep in the wood. Many have speculated exactly what had led to the deaths of those that encountered the man's ghost. It is believed that the spirit itself does not inflict physical harm onto anyone. Instead, the sight of the man's body, ghost, and message is said to bring such despair that people feel perpetually dread and hopelessness. A few of the people that have seen these sites reported them after they have left Although, most never even leave the man's house. Eventually, no matter how much they try to fight it, they always die the same way he did. This single phrase has been seen by many to be the primary indicator of the connection between the man's victims. My way. Number of estimated victims, seven. The name of the ghost, Edgar Price, a.k.a. the host. (laughs) Ghost number three. During the mid-1800s, a man lived happily as a very much beloved husband and father around a southwest Mississippi town. The town was one of the largest at the time and very well known for bringing in quite a bit of profit. The man was, was well off enough to care for his family, and that was all he could ask for. He worked day in and day out at a nearby paper mill while his simple... His simply angelic, was simple wife, <laughs> his, his simply angelic wife, as he had often described her, stayed home to care for their two daughters and son. The man couldn't enjoy life more than he was. He was young, healthy, and pulling in more money than he could ask for. However, a dark secret that he had kept from his family and business part- partners emerged into the public. One day, another man came to him while he was working and asked for the money that he owed him and his boss. Uh-oh. The man knew perfectly well that he was in several months' worth of debt to a local mafia dude. Or I don't know if you would call him mafia back in the day. Mafia dude. Mafia dude. <laughs> what, what would you call them back? It's like loan sharks? What were loan sharks called back in the 1800s? I don't know. I don't know either.
0: I have no idea.
1: The tax man? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to look it so, up. So he, he owed these people this money that helped him with the paper mill. The man had accepted the money from one of the most dangerous and infamous, we'll call them loan sharks, of his time. The man pleaded for more time, but mercy was long since given to the man. The loan shark had two of his henchmen beat the man into bloody submission, breaking his left arm in four places his right leg in two and fracturing his skull before pulling out a small bottle of acid and throwing it on his face. The corrosive acid ate away at the skin all over the man's face and even down to some of his bone. The man was helpless and all he could do was scream. No one came to his aid. No one else even really knew who the man was for he had only kept to his family when he was not on the job. His lips had peeled back, no longer protecting his teeth and gums, and his eyelids had disintegrated, as well as yeah. his nose melted down to nothing. The loan Sharks deemed this his warning, for if he did not receive the money he was owed with interest by the next month, the same would happen to his family.
0: Is it like mob bosses?
1: Mob, that- I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Um oh, no, that's fine. I'm perplexed. I'm going to have to go Google that. The man was long since rendered unconscious before the shark and his man had left the scene. When the man awoke, he was still in agonizing pain, obviously, with like all the things broken and mm-hmm. like acid and face. And no eyelids. And oh, no eyelids. No lips. When he returned home, his family was mortified by what they saw. His children ran screaming and crying from the monster. His wife got out a kitchen knife and demanded that this man leave. He tried to make the case that he was her husband, but she wouldn't believe him. He had kept from her and his children that he had received money from the lone shark, and his wife wouldn't allow the disfigured man to explain himself. Without being able to speak clearly to his wife, there was nothing that the man could do but leave. He left his wife and children behind, never seeing them again that day, only grabbing his coat, his cane, and his hat box on the way out. (laughs) He no longer had his money or his home. Concealing his head under his coat and top hat, leaning off of his damaged leg onto his cane, with only the hat box to store his belongings, he made his way down south. Many, many miles into his travel, he decided to take refuge in a house big enough to hide in. Just until he could figure out what to do next. He didn't know whether he should protect or warn his family of the impending loan shark or start a new life somewhere else. For the first time in his life, the man was completely lost and had nowhere to go, nothing to do, and no one to be. Oh sent not makes sense. <laughs> Take that out. He managed to break into the house fairly easily. He saw no sign of anyone living there, but expected someone would come around eventually. The man lived many days in this house. He found food in the house, slept in the master bedroom, read many of the owner's personal collection of books lost with his floss, used his toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How do you sleep when you have no eyelids?
1: Oh, sleep mass? <laughs> Eventually, the man heard the owner return and ran to hide. He found a pull-down door and ladder leading to an attic space and decided to hide there to wait for the owner to leave. He spent several hours in the attic, curled up next to a hat rack. And he was crying. Oh. The man missed his family and was ashamed at his cowardice. He knew that they would share the same gruesome fate as he did and he could do nothing anymore to stop it. He cried and cried until the attic door slowly opened. The man became dead silent and watched the owner of the house work his way up into the attic. The man panicked and in a blurred rage of defense, the man picked up a broken piece of glass and stabbed the owner in the back of the knee just as he was walking past where the man was hiding. The owner fell to the ground screaming as the man continued to stab the owner viciously. The man looked down at the owner bleeding out all over the attic floor and had an idea cross his already twisted mind. The man grabbed the owner by his head and held his, the owner grabbed, (laughs) shit, the man grabbed the owner by the hair and held his head tight. With his fists, he plunged the glass shard deep inside underneath the owner's jaw. Oh, no. The acid-burned man dug the glass shard around the outline of the homeowner's face, peeling back every square inch of skin attached. Gross! Blood soaked both of their clothes, and the owner thrashed about, but was just as helpless as the day the man lost his own face. Carving out the skin around the man's mouth and eyes were the final touches. Ugh. As the man dropped the glass shard and he pushed the frantic owner aside, gurgling his screams through even more thick, dark blood. Gross. <laughs> Light jello. Ew. <laughs> the, man raised, the man raised the owner's face up to where his used to be. He felt the warm, still, bloody Ugh. side against his exposed muscle and bone. He formed it around his eyes and around his mouth and licked it sealed. That's not how that works. In this story, it does. Oh my god! So, That's a- vacuum sealed. <laughs> In my face now. <laughs> In my face now. <laughs> The owner scrambled around the floor and found the glass shard. Blindly, he picked it up and crawled as fast as he could to the man, cutting through his throat in the first swing while the man was admiring his new look. The owner continued to stab the man long after he had finally died. The man allowed the owner to exact his vengeance, laughing as the glass shard pierced his skin, for the man was content with death under his new identity. What? The spirits of both of these men still haunt the same house, but only that of the man with the acid face has been known to take lives. How do we know this? He will appear anywhere in the house, but is especially seen in the attic from the outside. He painfully collects faces of his victims before killing them. You will never know when you're near the ghost, but so long as you're in the same house, he is never far. Should he he choose you, you will feel a sharp stabbing pain all over your body. You may not see him then, but there will be nothing you can do to stay alive at this point. He will continue to stab you until you stop moving altogether. You can only hope that what has been done already will be enough to kill you, for then you will feel every single nerve under the skin in your face as it's being ripped apart. (laughs) (laughs) Going to be dramatic one more time. Sorry. You will feel it peeled back and tear as easily as paper. It is said that the last thing you see if you're able to survive for this long is his insidious smile and wide, pure white eyes staring at you. Because he has no eyelids. Mm-mm, but he can't smile because he has no he's lips. Just, he's got no <laughs> lips, but he's got teeth. He stores all the faces he collects and never has them just out of arm's reach. How do we know that it's the same man and not the owner? The entity is known to always carry around the only two things he had with him when he came to the house. His cane and his hat box. Number of estimated victims, 14. Name of the ghost, Xavier Randall, a.k.a. Hatbox. Box. <laughs> Not acid face. Not-, <laughs> not acid face, not stabby stabby.
0: Hat box. Hat box. This is the least threatening thing about him. <laughs>
1: oh my god. All right. I'm going to leave that entertaining dramatic reading of my ghost stories. And continue in the next episode for the last two, where we'll conclude our killer ghost stories. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Hat box. Hot box. <laughs> steppy, steppy, man. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> He was well known around town, by you know everybody, and recognized, can
0: recognized.